As you know, we've been uh, focused for the last several weeks on um, a portion of the scripture known as First and Second Thessalonians, which really has to do a lot with the future. And um, I want to continue along that vein this morning, and uh, especially with regard to Jesus' uh, return to earth, uh, which God promises is going to change absolutely everything. And uh, we look forward to that day. It's our hope. And so I want to just refresh your memory, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 9. This is the, uh, the thoughts that we're uh, focused on again this morning. Uh, the coming of the lawless one, there's uh, preceding the return of Jesus. There's another individual that the Bible has a lot to say about. And uh, verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so to be saved. And therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so I want to um, suggest to you this morning that a very key figure in the end times uh, teaching of the scripture, um, especially in relationship to these last seven years, is a man that is called in the scriptures the Antichrist. And I know that um, you know, it can be confusing to try to study, and so I've tried to uh, put together this morning uh, just uh, from different passages of scripture that are all talking about the same thing uh, so that we can understand what God wants us to understand about this uh, person. He has many names in the scriptures. Uh, he's called the beast in Revelation. Uh, he's called the desolator in Daniel. In our passage of scripture, he's called the man of lawlessness. He's called the man of sin. In Daniel chapter 7, he's called the little horn or the little king. And uh, he's in Micah chapter 5 called the Assyrian. And so he has many uh, names, up, upwards of 25 uh, different names are used to describe this particular individual who will show up at the end of time. Uh, but his name, Antichrist, sort of sums up uh, in, a, in a great way uh, what he's really all about. And that name is used primarily by John in 1 John. And I wanted to uh, just, uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, um, he says this, Children, it's the last hour and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And therefore, we know that it's the last hour. And so John talks about the Antichrist and many Antichrists uh, who have already come and who are already here. Uh, the prefix anti in front of Christ, Antichrist means, it can mean one of two things. It can mean two, both things. Uh, it means, first of all, to be against, anti-Christ, to be opposition to, right? And then second, it means to be in the place of or instead of. And when it comes to this individual that the Bible talks a lot about, uh, both of those meanings uh, are applied to him. Uh, he both opposes Christ and he uh, seeks to take the place of Christ, uh, claiming to be God in uh, a human being, claiming to be God in the place of Christ. And so... References to this particular individual are widespread in the Bible, Old and New Testament, uh, many of the prophets, and so on. And while it's still future, the truth is that the spirit of Antichrist, 
the spirit of opposition to Christ, the spirit of replacing Christ with somebody else, is already at work in our world. And so uh, you just go down a couple of verses in 1 John to uh, verse 22. Who is the liar? Um, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies that the Father uh, denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. You can't have God without Jesus. Now, we live in a culture that's telling us, you know, there's many roads to God. There's all kinds of religions. They all end up at the same God and so on. And many people are deceived. Some of them even include uh, reference to Jesus, but not the same way uh, that the Bible describes him. In 1 John 4, John kind of continues this thought in uh, verses 3 and 4. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you're from God and you have overcome all of that and so on. And so uh, it's really important for us to understand that there is this particular individual who will embody in person all of this kind of Antichrist uh, sentiment, the character and the spirit of Antichrist is already with us, but eventually uh, that will all be embodied in this particular individual. There is no other name given among men, right, whereby we might be saved than Jesus Christ, as the scriptures say. And so uh, it's Jesus who is the source of our uh, hope and our future. Uh, he continues in Second John, uh, in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Uh, Verse 9, everybody who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anybody comes to you and doesn't bring uh, this teaching to you, don't receive them into your house or give them a greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works, and so on. And so John is alerting us to this particular individual, but also to the fact that the Spirit of Christ is already with us. And so when a person denies or refuses Jesus, they're really undercutting, okay, God's greatest expression of being God, which is his expression to us in the person of Jesus. And it's doing the work of Satan, opposing the essence of God, And again, at the end of this age, uh, this will be what characterizes the world that we live in. Um, I think every day we're making choices between living a me-first or a God-first life. If you think about it, there's decisions we make, dozens of decisions every day. And each one of those decisions is either made from a me-first perspective or a God-first perspective. And it's this me-first, this kind of uh, surplanting God with myself and with human beings Uh, That is the spirit of this Antichrist as he comes and does his thing. And so this individual will emerge on the world scene. And the Bible tells us he'll be the leader of a ten-nation coalition of nations. And he'll eventually end up in Israel. And he'll be looked on as uh, the leader of the entire world. He'll be uh, kind of a false savior, if you will. And, uh, you know, I had shared with you that he is uh, uh, foreshadowed by a person by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. If you Google him, uh, you'll uh, find out that uh, a lot of the way uh, the Antichrist is going to behave, this guy in seed form uh, already happened uh, at a point in the past. And so 
I want to just uh, share with you that in the Bible, there's Jesus Christ and there's Antichrist. At the end times, there's going to be this individual. And so Jesus Christ in the Bible is called the Son of God. The Antichrist in the Bible is called the Son of Perdition or the Son of Destruction in our passage in uh, 2 Thessalonians. Jesus Christ is called the Holy One. The Antichrist is called the Lawless One. Jesus Christ came down from heaven. The Antichrist, the Bible says, comes up from the bottomless pit from hell. Uh, Jesus Christ is energized by the Holy Spirit. The Antichrist is energized by Satan himself, Revelation 13. Uh, Jesus Christ does the Father's will. The Antichrist, the Bible says, does his own will. Uh, Jesus cleansed the temple. The Antichrist defiles the temple. Jesus Christ is called the man of sorrows. The Antichrist is called the man of sin. Jesus Christ, when he came, humbled himself. The Antichrist, when he comes, will exalt himself. Jesus Christ, when he came, is called the lamb. The Antichrist is called the beast. Jesus Christ is received up into heaven, and the Antichrist is sent to the lake of fire uh, at the end of his time on this earth. And so the Bible teaches that this Antichrist is going to lead this worldwide empire and be unlike uh, any previous world power that has ever been. In fact, you remember in Matthew 24, Jesus says this will be the worst that the world has ever seen and never will see again. And so the Bible in many different places talks about that. There's more than 100 different passages that describe this particular uh, individual. Uh, but he's first described in Daniel chapter 7. And so uh, Daniel, you know, is uh, special to God and received a number of visions from God. And if you read through Daniel just casually, it seems kind of bizarre. Uh, and there's kind of weird stuff that Daniel sees. But if you take the time to kind of uh, ferret it out and compare it with what God says in Revelation and what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and have it all gel to say the same thing, it's not actually as hard to understand as you might think. And so in Daniel chapter 7, God gives Daniel uh, a vision of four uh, different beasts or four different kingdoms or four different world powers that are going to come over the world after Daniel dies. Daniel's already witnessed the first three, right? The Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Grecians. And God's telling him, after you die, there's going to be four more world empires. And uh, it's the last one that um, we're talking about here when we talk about the Antichrist showing up. And so in verse 7 and 8, uh, Daniel describes this fourth beast. He says, after this, uh, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns, or ten kings. And uh, considered uh, ten horns, and I considered uh, the horns. And behold, there came up among them another horn, an eleventh horn. This is the Antichrist. Okay? And as he's described in different places. There came up another horn, a little one, uh, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man... And a mouth speaking great things. Uh, great oratory skills, this particular 
little horn or this uh, 11th king uh, has. And Daniel is so alarmed by the uh, difference of this last kingdom uh, that he asks about the meaning in verse uh, 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and uh, the visions of my head alarmed me. And I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. So uh, the angel is saying to Daniel here, there's going to be four great kingdoms, four great kings that are going to arise, and the last one you know, is going to be worse than all the previous ones. Uh, but uh, rest assured... Uh, the kingdom of this world is going to go to God's people. But first, as we read in Thessalonians, uh, there comes this Antichrist and this attempt uh, to take over the world. You might remember in John 10.10 where Jesus says the enemy or the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so we have this uh, personalized... uh, uh, Divide between the Antichrist and Christ's rightful ownership of the kingdom of this world. And so Daniel asked specifically about this in verse 19 again. Um, I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, Daniel says, uh, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, uh, this horn made war with the saints, with the saints. This antichrist uh, targets God's people, both the Jews and the Christians, as we saw from Revelation chapter 12. And... uh, This little horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, okay, until the Ancient of Days comes. The Ancient of Days is Jesus, okay, who was before the foundation of the world. The Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. uh, And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And again, that's exactly what we read in Paul's summary in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Jesus shows up and slays the Antichrist by the breath of his mouth um, uh, in our uh, passage that we're looking at this morning. And then in verse 24 and 25, as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them and he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. And he shall speak words against the most high and he shall wear out the saints of the most high. Nobody will be able to come against him and win. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall uh, think to change the times and the law. This person will take over the world and seek to change the times, I think change the calendar perhaps, and uh, change the laws, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time, three and a half years. Uh, That's how we know we're talking about the exact same events at the same time the second half of the seven years, the last seven years of God's dealing with uh, his nation of Israel. And so Daniel asks specifically about this little horn. He gets a very clear answer. 
and um, <clears throat> the destruction will be over the whole earth. And uh, eventually, here's what's going to happen um, uh, to the Antichrist, uh, verse 26 and 27. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve and obey them. So here's this battle that's being depicted in the scriptures between this Antichrist and eventually Jesus Christ comes because nobody can go against him and win. And um, Jesus comes and destroys him and the kingdom of this world is restored and, uh, to the saints. But imagine if you were uh, part of this and if you were on the earth at the same time, um, what it would be like. In the book of Revelation, we have a parallel account in uh, Revelation chapter 13 and verses uh, 4 to 8, uh, again, saying kind of the same thing, but again with a little bit more detail. Uh, they worshiped the dragon, okay, for he had given his authority to the beast. The dragon is Satan, as we saw, and this Antichrist, the beast. And they worshiped the beast, they worshiped the Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against him? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's exactly three and a half years. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blasphemies against his name and his dwelling, and that is those who dwell in heaven with him. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And uh, authority was given uh, it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that was slain. If anybody has an ear, let him hear. So it's the same period of time. It's the same thing that's going to happen. And uh, I think it's very significant that we um, kind of understand what's coming. Um, and if I can just rant for a little bit, um, uh, when people talk about a new world order, right? You hear this phrase every once in a while, a new world order. What they're really talking about is a one world government, okay? And uh, this Antichrist will eventually rule over that one world government. Globalism is a word that we hear often. And it kind of means a worldwide cooperation, okay, to overcome um, global problems, which sounds reasonable. Uh, global problems like hunger or poverty or the protection of the environment or the protection of uh, our resources or um, to settle international disputes. Uh, this globalism, this one world kind of government to deal with all these uh, kinds of things. Uh, globalism is just a global system of rules and regulations uh, that, and that's a one world government. This past week, you might have noticed that the Nobel Prize uh, went to a group called ICANN. And uh, ICANN is a group that's seeking to eliminate nukes from the world. Very worthy cause. Who's not for that, right? And so there's this international group that was awarded this prize. And I would say to you that already, if you think about our world, uh, we already have a World Bank. We have a World Health Organization. We have a World Trade Organization. Uh, we have two world courts, the International Criminal Court and the International Court of Justice. Uh, we have the International Monetary Fund. And, of course, we have the United Nations right down in New York City. 
And so, um, which by the way, the United Nations is discussing increasing the membership of the Security Council from what it is to be 10. Uh, to have 10 nations, uh, 10 sections of the world divided up, and uh, 10 representatives of those 10 sections of our world uh, serving on that permanent council. And uh, there are calls uh, in our day for a world constitution, a world currency, a world income tax, and uh, a global identification number, which sounds an awful lot uh, like Revelation chapter 13 and the mark of the beast and all of that. And, uh, but especially there is a call for a global ethic, a global moralism, or what we would recognize as a global religion. And uh, that's where all of this is leading, and the scriptures you know, are telling us about it uh, ahead of time. But what the scriptures predict is already happening, it seems, in so many different ways. And again, it's so important for us to be alert to this. And I think Daniel is still trying to understand what he saw in Daniel chapter 8, where we have some more commentary on this whole subject, Daniel 8, verse 15. Uh, where we read these words. Uh, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And uh, I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, the river, and it called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and uh, when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, uh, that the vision is for the time of the end. The time of the end. And uh, it's, again, uh, given for a particular time, verse 23. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. Remember, this is an individual empowered by Satan. And uh, he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. The target, the focus of this antichrist is God's people, both the Jews uh, and the church. And again, uh, Daniel is trying to understand, you know, what's going on here. But this antichrist will rise to power uh, during those days. And uh, I think he'll be inconspicuous at first in uh, Revelation chapter 13, and the very first verse says that this individual, this beast, will rise out of the sea. And, uh, you know, we, all, we think of water, but in um, Revelation chapter 17, and this is why it's so important to kind of compare Scripture with Scripture to understand what it's saying. Revelation 17 in verse 15, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw, the sea, uh, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And so what Scripture is telling us is that this individual will rise out of uh, restless nations, right, and groups of people, and will come to offer peace uh, to the whole world, and eventually, you know, will end up in Israel uh, offering uh, peace to uh, that nation, <clears throat> which the world will look on as nobody else could ever do that, and, and so on, but it will be temporary. Uh, but not only will this person be a political and a, and a military leader, but they'll be a religious leader. Uh, wherever you read about this particular individual, the word worship is associated with him. And uh, he will be uh, a religious leader. And uh, he will control or seek to control the whole spiritual uh, world with his own uh, brand of religion. And he'll promote a world religion, <coughs> excuse me, 
that uh, most people feel will be some manifestation of uh, the deification of man or humanism. And that somehow there'll be some uh, religion that will uh, lift man up to the level of God. And again, the spirit of Antichrist is already very much with us. And uh, there are, again, many references to the worship of this person. Uh, And he'll seek to take the place of Jesus, claiming to be God and demanding to be worshipped. Again, in uh, Revelation chapter 13, uh, we read this in uh, verses uh, 4 and 8. Uh, As I already read, uh, they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against him? And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. There's so many details that we could get lost in, but in verse 3 of Revelation 13, um, notice uh, what we're also told about this particular individual is that one of its heads... Um, seems to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Um, it's a fake resurrection. It's a, a, the world will think that this individual died and then came back to life. And again, it's an imitation of Jesus who actually did die and who was resurrected, and the whole world will be uh, faked out and kind of wowed by this uh, fake, I call it a fake resurrection. And then uh, there will also be a second individual, um, not only the Antichrist, but he's called the false prophet. And he's kind of the right-hand man of this Antichrist, and he'll assist the Antichrist, and he is the one who will perform these uh, false signs and wonders or miracles, uh, and that will encourage the world to worship the beast. Again, in Revelation 13, verse 11, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, Uh, It had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Thank you. It had two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So again, you've got this kind of second person that's pointing all of this out and directing all the worship to the first beast. Um, And and, um, it performs great signs even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs uh, that it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image uh, for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give birth, uh, breath, gives breath uh, to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might even cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So here's where like technology starts to come in. There's uh, some, you know, idol that's made that uh, is enabled to kind of see and speak, and and uh, with all the world, and it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be uh, marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that nobody can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name, and this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man, it's the number 666. And so, again, you know, there's this uh, period of time, three and a half years, uh, where this person comes to power and uh, pretty much dominates uh, the world that we live in, except for uh, those who have put their faith in Christ and are waiting for the rapture when Jesus shows up to slay this Antichrist and to deliver the church and uh, to begin the judgment of God against the world 
uh, for refusing to love the truth, uh, as uh, it's told here. And so um, the attempt will be made, right, to steal worship from God and to divert it uh, so that it goes to this beast and ultimately through him uh, to Satan himself. And again, you can see that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in our world. Uh, some have noted that this uh, trio is uh, like an unholy trinity. Uh, the holy trinity is God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this unholy trinity is Satan himself and the Antichrist and this false prophet. And they that you can compare uh, their roles to one another and see how this is an attempt to usurp God's rightful ownership of the kingdom of this world. Uh, another characteristic about this Antichrist that we read about in the scriptures uh, is that he will have a, a silver tongue. You know, in um, Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5, uh, the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Um, a silver tongue, and the world will be deceived. And I think we can kind of see examples of this, uh, you know, in our own history of people who just have the ability uh, to kind of rally people around. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 says the same thing about this uh, particular individual, the Antichrist. In verse 20 and 25 of uh, Daniel chapter 7, uh, we read this about him. Uh, about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn had... Uh, eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than all its uh, companions. And uh, verse 25, you know, he shall speak words against the Most High and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and he shall think to uh, change the times and change the law. I don't know what change the times actually means, you know. Perhaps uh, because we measure time right now uh, as before Christ, B.C., and then after Christ came, we call it the common era now. But all time is measured from the time that Christ was on the earth the first time. And uh, this Antichrist will seek to eliminate anything that's a reference to God and his influence on our world and seek to, uh, you know, uh, obliterate uh, the presence of God in his own world. And I think his oratory skills will wow people. Uh, his physical appearance will be impressive, uh, he'll be very smart, Daniel chapter 8 and uh, verse 19. Uh, he said, Behold, I will make known to you uh, what shall be at the uh, latter end of indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. And then goes on uh, to talk about this in verse 23 and following. And at the end of the kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, the king of boldface, one who understands riddles, shall arise. And uh, his power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. And so, again, this is going to be a really intense time. And I believe the Bible tells us that we can survive this time if we're prepared for it and we know about it and we recognize the signs as it comes. Uh, but many people will be unprepared uh, and, and not simply because we don't pay a whole lot of attention to all of this and uh, will suffer at his uh, hand. And uh, I think this uh, individual will have no problem being obscene when it comes to the way he talks about God and about Jesus. He'll talk against God. He'll talk against God's holiness and against God's laws and against God's name and against God's son and against God's grace 
and against God's heaven and against God's angels and against God's word and against God's people. Uh, over and over in the scriptures, we read about his uh, mouth and his blasphemy against God. Uh, Daniel eleven thirty six, 36. Um, the king shall do as he wills. Again, talking about the Antichrist, uh, he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every other God, including the true God, and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. Things that you would think nobody would dare ever speak like that. And he shall prosper uh, until the indignation uh, is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, or to the one beloved by women, Jesus. He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. He will sit in the temple and claim to be God and demand the worship of the world. And uh, he shall honor the God of fortresses or strength or power or military might uh, instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and costly gems and so on and so forth. And so um, we need to know, you know, God is giving us this information for a reason. And uh, you can see that uh, every person is going to have to decide, am I going to embrace the spirit of God, you know, and be loyal to Jesus if I were to live during this time, or am I going to embrace the spirit of the Antichrist so that I can survive? Is there something more important to me than my faith in God? Uh, or am I willing to die uh, in standing for my faith? And I think this is a decision that we make on a regular basis and that we need to make today. In um, you know, Second Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he warned him about uh, what it would be like to live in me-first times. And here's what he said, Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days, at the end of time, uh, there will come times of difficulty. Uh, For people will be lovers of themselves, me first instead of God first, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people as these. Having the appearance of godliness, still wanting to kind of have that coating, that veneer on our lives, but denying the power uh, to really transform people's lives and to help them deal with uh, the various issues that come uh, in our way in this world. And so this one individual who is coming with power, with great oratory skill, the Bible says in Daniel 7, is going to make a deal with the nation of Israel. And um, it'll be a seven-year deal. And uh, he'll use diplomacy, and he'll talk about peace and prosperity and so on. And he will seem to have solved the Mideast peace dilemma. Uh, But it will be temporary, as you know, from that passage. Uh, I imagine this guy maybe makes it onto the cover of Time Magazine's Man of the Year edition, this guy, because he brings peace to the Middle East. Or maybe he wins the Nobel Prize uh, for peace because he brought this temporary peace to the people of Israel. But as you know, right in the middle of that period of time, uh, he turns against Israel. He reneges on his deal, and the whole thing was a plot uh, to continue what he wants to do and take God's place. And this begins what Jesus calls the Great Tribulation. And some of this, which we have been reading and describing, uh, takes place during that particular period of time. 
Uh, again, in Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, uh, those are passages that talk about this. And uh, I just want to say that uh, the focus of this Antichrist is going to be against the Jewish and Christian population. And uh, it, it becomes significant, I think, because many, many people think that the rapture happens before all of this and that we'll all be out of here and we don't need to worry about it and give very little thought to ever actually being prepared to stand against what Paul clearly says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the rapture will not happen until this period of time actually comes about and the Antichrist is revealed and, uh, and that he's revealed uh, you know, at the middle of the seven-year period in, in our passage in 2 Thessalonians. And so there are many places that talk about this, uh, Revelation chapter 12, Jesus and Matthew 24. And um, one more thing that I just wanted to uh, share with you is that um, it's kind of interesting, I think. And, and again, there are so many different details that are given to us that it takes a while to kind of uh, figure out wh what we should talk about and think about and know and what we shouldn't but, or, or what's secondary. But both the Antichrist and Christ, when they come, are riding a white horse. This is really interesting. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, uh, we have a picture of when Jesus comes to the earth, okay? And so here's what it says. I saw heaven open up. This is, uh, remember John, who wrote 1 John and talks about the Antichrist, is the one apostle of Jesus that was taken up into heaven and, uh, you know, wrote the book of Revelation from what he saw uh, being up in heaven with Jesus as Jesus revealed all of that. But in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 19 and verse 11, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. It's Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And uh, on his head are many uh, diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that nobody knows. He's clothed in a robe dripped in blood. And the name which he is called is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is what became flesh, and so forth. That's the picture of Jesus riding on a white horse. I don't know if it's symbolic or literal. I really don't know. But John, when he looked, he saw that. And then when you go to uh, Revelation chapter 6, um, you know that uh, Revelation pictures uh, the Lord having a scroll, and all these events of end times in the day of the Lord's written in a scroll, but the scroll is sealed with seven different seals. And each one of these seals, as they're taken off and peeled back, uh, reveals different events that precede the day of the Lord. And so the very first seal, uh, Revelation, you can read it in 6 and 7 and 8 about the seven seals. But in Revelation chapter 6, it says, the first seal, I watched when the Lamb, Jesus, opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering to conquer. Most commentators believe that's the Antichrist, who shows up on a white horse, again, trying to take the place of Christ. He's got a bow, but there's no mention of arrows, which symbolizes a false peace that he's going to bring upon the whole world, and the whole world's going to fall for it and look to him to be our savior uh, from all the chaos that results and so forth. And no, notice his motive. Um, he came out conquering and to conquer, just as these other passages of Scripture talk about. And that's the beginning. Well, you know, he shows up at the very beginning of that seven-year period and, uh, to make this deal with Israel. 
and he's out to conquer the whole world. He upsets three of these nations, becomes their leader, and eventually uh, becomes the world leader of all ten uh, of those uh, nations and so forth, all leading up to the day of the Lord. I just point out that both he and Jesus come riding on a white horse. Uh, again, I don't know if it's symbolic or uh, if it's uh, <clears throat> literal, but that's what the scriptures are telling us. And so there's this fake Christ, this anti-Christ, this person who wants to take the place of Christ. And we're being warned in scripture that if it's in our generation, in our lifetime, uh, so that we know uh, what to expect. Now, I just want to say in closing that I know many people avoid studying prophecy. And uh, I, I think that the majority of people just think it's too hard to understand. But that's really not true. Uh, if you make the effort, and it's well worth the effort, uh, it's not as complicated as it sounds when we go through the first time. Um, I know it sounds confusing. I think another reason why people stay away from prophecy is we probably have all known like weird people who get obsessed with prophecy, right? We've had a few come through Trinity over the years where somebody will show up and that's their whole ball game and, and that's all they know and they're just looking to argue with everybody to push their interpretation of passages and so forth. And you know what? Nobody wants to be weird, right? Or thought of as weird. And um, so I think a lot of people just stay away uh, because of that. And then I think there's a lot of people who avoid prophecy just because it seems irrelevant to them. It's like, you know, the world's been going on for 2,000 years since Jesus is here. And I know all this stuff's in the Bible for some reason, for some generation. But as for me, I've got kids to raise and I've got a mortgage to pay and I've got a boss to please. And I, I just don't, I just, I'm not interested in studying all this. And I think it's to our pearl that we do that because... I believe that all of this is a part of the message of the gospel of the New Testament. Uh, when we don't share the whole truth, uh, the half-truth doesn't make as much sense. When we don't share with people that this God who is holy and righteous is going to come and vent his justice and his righteousness on this earth and in hell for all of eternity, and then we try to talk to people without telling them that about being saved, they're like, being saved from what? I mean, I came to Christ because uh, as a kid, when, when, when I was at camp, somebody sort of, I, I found out later, you know, they retold Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon at a kid level. And uh, Jonathan Edwards preached this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I can still remember the night when I could picture myself, according to that sermon, hanging by a spider's thread over the flames of hell, Right? And I mean, this guy did such a good job of, of presenting this truth that, you know, what's hanging in the balance here is eternity in hell versus a God who we sang about this morning who wants to give us this gift of deliverance from what we deserve in Jesus Christ. And uh, I'll tell you, I ran right to Jesus. And I was, I was like, well, I don't want to be in that position. And I think when we don't share with people what God says is going to happen in the future, uh, we uh, cut short our evangelistic effectiveness because people need to know you can't mess with God. You can't just refuse to love the truth and think there'll be no consequences. You can't just say there's a God in heaven who's speaking and who's sending his son and who created you and whose breath is in your lungs and you could care less and think that there'll be no consequences. You can't ignore the God of heaven and uh, this is part of the gospel message. Um, and I think it's important. It's part of the gospel message, and it needs to be told 
God has made a way for us to uh, be saved from what we deserve. And, you know, Jesus himself, when he was here, he regularly taught this material. Uh, He regularly quoted from the prophets about end times. Jesus uh, peppered his uh, teaching uh, with references to the future. And God put all of this in the Bible, you know, for us to ignore it is to ignore God's word because he thinks we need to know it. Uh, at least 25% of the Bible was prophetic when it was written and talked about the future. One of the ways God proves that he's God and that his word uh, in the scriptures is really his word. And so Jesus is coming back. That's what prophecy is really all about. Jesus is coming back. And we need to know, and that's part of the good news of the gospel message. But in the meantime, uh, there's a lot that's going to happen before Jesus actually comes back. And we need to be ready. And to be prepared. So to be forewarned, right, is to be forearmed. And that's what we need. So don't you ever, you know, get before the Lord and say, well, my pastor never told me about this stuff. (laughs) Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pause uh, here because, uh, you know, the way that you write about these end times and this particular period of time when the Antichrist dominates and when the world turns away from Jesus and toward this fake Savior... Uh, that this will be an absolutely horrible time on the face of the planet, and especially if we're a believer or Jewish. And uh, we just recognize, Father, that so many of these things, uh, we can imagine them now. I mean, maybe 50 years ago, we couldn't even imagine how this could possibly happen. But now, Father, we think about with the technology that's available and so on, how easy it would be to have a one-world government and uh, how easy it would be to control the commerce uh, of the whole world. And uh, all of these scenarios that you, told, you talked about thousands of years ago, and uh, they all become plausible now. And they become, and I don't know that we're the last generation that's gonna, that we're going to actually experience this, but I know that we're closer than we've ever been before than any other generation. And so uh, help us to be responsible and to be responsive uh, to what you've revealed here, that we might just be prepared, that we might be ready, and that we might use this understanding to help other people understand what's coming in the future and that we might be able to help them, Father, avoid the consequences of your wrath by embracing Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen.